So if we have a routine or a pattern that we follow and we want to make that a priority, it will shape how the rest of our day goes. So what are the things we seek to do first? Chances are you have something. You have something that you make a priority each day that you go out of your way to do uh, that just helps you along in your path. What we do first often shapes what comes next. Jesus had a very specific thing he invited us to do first, though. What he specifically invited us to do first is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where he says that we are to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He says this in a moment where he's speaking to his audience, his, his followers, and some people who are not followers, and he's speaking to them about why they worry so much about the day-to-day going-ons that they have. And in the midst of it, as they worry about what food they'll eat or what clothes they'll wear, he says you shouldn't worry about those things as a priority. That shouldn't be your first thoughts. Instead, you should seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, his way of living. That word that gets used for seek is a word uh, that in uh, Greek is translated to crave, to desire, to crave first of all God's kingdom and his way of living. That was Jesus' invitation to his followers and to us, for those of us who, whether we're listening online or here in person, who would say, well, we follow Jesus. This is his invitation for us, to seek first God's kingdom. But what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean? Why do we even use that term, maybe? For some of us, we might be familiar with that term. Maybe we've gone to church for a while. Maybe we've read some books. Maybe we've heard people preach on it. And it's a familiar term, and we have an idea of what it's all about. For others of us, we might not be too sure. For a lot of history, well, really just the last few hundred years, people have equated the idea of the kingdom of God with heaven, that place you go when you die. There's some good reason for that. Matthew's gospel doesn't use the term kingdom of God. It uses the term kingdom of heaven. And so a lot of people have thought, well, that's what it's about. It's, you know, if we're seeking first the kingdom, it's we're seeking first that place we go when we die. But we miss the point that Matthew uses the term heaven not to be about that place where we go when we die, but to be that place where God rules. Matthew chooses to use the term heaven because he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience, and if he were to use the term God over and over again, they would be offended by it. And so instead of offending them so that they listen, he uses the term heaven. So the terms in the New Testament, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, mean the same thing. It's the place where God rules. So what is this kingdom of heaven? If it is about just where we go when we die, how do we explain how Jesus speaks about it? In Mark's gospel, Jesus says just at the beginning, Mark 1 verse 15, says that the king, the time has come, he said, that the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And then in Luke's gospel, he addresses it this way in chapter 17. He says, Thank you. 
He says that once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was to come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in our midst. So it's around you. So Jesus says in Mark's gospel that the kingdom of God is near. In Luke's gospels, he says it's in your midst. Some other translations would say within, which probably isn't a very good translation. But he's saying it's present. So if we've had this belief that the kingdom of God is just this place we go when we die, or the kingdom of heaven is where we go when we die, how does that explain that Jesus is saying it's right here, right now? So what is the kingdom? Why does it even matter that we're talking about it? Well, really, it's, it's a term, it's an idea that comes up throughout Scripture. It's in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And maybe we're not as familiar with how it kind of penetrates all through the text and intercedes in various parts, but it kind of shapes what everything is about. And for a long time in the Christian church, there was an understanding that this was the most important thing when understanding who Jesus is and what he did. And we've kind of shifted away from that in the last few hundred years and miss a little about what God wants us to know about this kingdom and why it matters. George Ladd, who is a, 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 I guess, early 1900s, he was a author, a theologian, he said that the present, the kingdom of God is the present inauguration of the unleashing of God's final redemption, which is a pretty fancy thing to say, but so it's the present inauguration. So it's right now coming into play God's unfolding of what is going to happen. When I went to school, like uh, doing theological studies and things like that, the professors would always talk about the kingdom of God as a now and not yet. It's an idea that there is a presence of the kingdom of God right now, and there's a hope of what will come. That things aren't perfect, so that's the not yet, but there's a now in that God is doing something right now and inviting us to be part of it. So what is it? What is this kingdom? Scott McKnight, he's an author and a theologian, New Testament scholar. Uh, He's a professor. He wrote a book a few years ago called Kingdom Conspiracy. He's written some other books as well, um, King Jesus Gospel and different ideas like that. And he wrote this book, Kingdom Conspiracy, because he was interacting with uh, 20-ish year olds. Uh, He was a professor. And they were often talking about the kingdom work they were doing. And when they explained to him what the kingdom work they were doing was, it was things like uh, helping the poor. It was things like going on missions trips. It was very good things that they were doing. And he wrestled with it and wondered, is that really what the kingdom of God is about? Those are very good things, but is there more to it? And so he wrote this book, Kingdom Conspiracy, and in it, he outlined five uh, elements that this understanding of a kingdom, specifically the kingdom of God, needs to have. The first is that a kingdom needs to have a king, which should seem like it should go without saying. 
We, we don't really live in the world where monarchies are as present as they were in the past and kings and queens had as much authority as they did in the past. For many of us, we don't have that familiarity. But within the context of Scripture, the idea of a king was essential. A king was the one who ruled overall. And so a king needs to be part of a kingdom. The psalmist writes in Psalm 47, verse 6 and 7, that we're to sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. There's an understanding that God is king. In order for there to be a kingdom, there needs to be a king, and God is that king. But a king has a purpose. They are to rule. And so the second part of the kingdom of God is there's a rule, there's a governance to it. That God is meant to rule over something or someone. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. And so the kingdom of God is the place where God, who is king, is ruling over all. And how does he do that? I would say that the kingdom of God is a place where God rules redemptively. Try to make wrongs right. Try to correct pain and sorrow and bring peace and healing. As well, a king that's ruling needs to have a people. For those of us who are familiar with the Old Testament, uh, the story of God and people starts in the Garden of Eden, the story of creation, and there's a disconnect that evolves from it. That People sin and they, they go their separate way from God. But... God invites people through Abram to be his people again, that he is to bless them and they are to be a blessing. Jeremiah, the prophet, writes in Jeremiah 30, 22, speaking from God and challenging the people as to what they're doing and how they are going away from God. God says, if you come back to me, I will, you will be my people and I will be your God. So God has a people In the Old Testament, it's the understanding of the nation of Israel, and so a lot of us associate that. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul points out that in Galatians 3, 28-29, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So this God who is king rules and governs over a people, which is all of us who are in Christ. And how he does that is through a law. So in the Old Testament, we have the Old Testament law, some familiarity there. But in the New Testament, we also have the teachings of Jesus that expand on those Old Testament teachings. In particular, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says how we should be and how we should be living, as well as Paul's teachings. And the final thing that he would say, Scott McKnight would say, that a kingdom has to have is a place. There's always a land promise or a place associated with this kingdom. In the Old Testament, again, we go to uh, the idea of the nation of Israel and the space they were to occupy. But it's bigger than that. In fact, Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6 that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The place is all of creation, the earth. So the kingdom of God comprises of these things. There's a king who is God, who we know through Jesus. There is 
the reality that this king rules over a people, and that in ruling over a people, there's a way of living they're invited to do in a place called this earth. And so the kingdom of God is about who we are every single day of our lives and how we act. Now, it's a term that maybe some of us are familiar with, like I said, or some of us maybe not so much, but it should shape how we live our faith. Because if we are following Jesus, we're following a king who has a way of living. When you live in a certain place, there are some cultural realities to them. In the kingdom of God, there is a cultural reality about how we are to be with our attitudes, with our actions, our relationships. And so this kingdom of God that Jesus says we are to seek first is meant to be about how we live every day of our lives. And if it's in our midst, we should be demonstrating it in how we act, behave, even think. So when Jesus says that we are to seek first this kingdom, we should be thinking about, well, what do I do first? How do I make this a priority? What does it look like to be following Jesus in my everyday, ordinary life? How does it affect my attitude towards other people? How does it affect how I treat people when they are serving me or when I don't even know them? Maybe they're an inconvenience to me. What does it look like to be part of this kingdom? The reason why I wanted to talk about this term, and I'm not going to go through the exhaustive realities of it, because there's a lot of great resources out there if you want to go further. But the reason why I want to just touch on it is because this is what brings together the last few weeks of the messages. We started with this idea that we're part of uh, being made in the image of God. We are meant to be a reflection of the creator of the universe to all who are around us. And that within that being of his reflection, we have to be aware that there are those of us who are disconnected from God, that is the wrath of God, that miss out on the goodness that God has for us, and that God has a mission for us, those made in his image, those he says are his masterpiece, that he has good works for us to help people stay away from that wrath of God, come to know they're made in his image, and work towards reconciliation. All of that is kingdom living. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. That God has a way that is to be done, and we are to be participating in it. In the Old Testament, uh, the followers of God didn't always get it right. In fact, they got it wrong a whole lot, just like we do today. And there's a point where they wanted kings, and God didn't want them to have kings because he was their king. And there was this concern that people would follow their human rulers and not the God who they're meant to follow. And the same way, we can get trapped in that. We can follow people who are meant to be made in the image of God, but not God. We can get wrapped into how they say we should behave or what we should do and miss out on what God has instructed us in the way of being part of his kingdom. His kingdom is a place of reconciliation where people are made right with God through Christ. His kingdom is a place of peace where we seek the good of others first and most of all. His kingdom is a place of justice 
where we work to wrong rights. This kingdom ultimately is a place of love, where we seek God's good for other people most of all. His kingdom is not like this world. His kingdom is not what we see on the news. His kingdom is not what we read in our Twitter feed. His kingdom is very, very different. And as we see images of what's going on in the Ukraine, as we hear and experience the protests that we had in Canada, as we hear and talk to each other and hear the pain and the sorrow that we're experiencing in various areas, those things are not the kingdom. God has a way for us. He invites us to live a certain way that reflects who he is. And when we are part of God's kingdom, we should be acting and living in that way so that others can see that he is your king. So how do you live like a kingdom person? How do you demonstrate that you follow God as king? As I said, there's this, this now and the not yet. There's this thing that we hope for, which is everything made right under God. It's not there yet. But there's also a right now in how we practice and live our life with that hope in mind. Well, I have three questions to hopefully help you reflect and see if you are lining yourself up to crave God's kingdom most of all, if it is the most important thing, if it is what you're seeking most of all. And basically, I ask you this question is, well, where do you spend your energy? Where are you putting most of your energy? What is consuming your thought life? Is it your, your job? Is that what kind of drains you and that's all you think about? Is it social media? Are you just thinking about what you can do next? Or are you just reading what people are saying? Is this consuming all your energy? Where, where is this going? Where is your energy going? Where are you spending it? Next is, where do you spend your time? Again, many of us have jobs. We spend a lot of time there doing work. But how much of it? How much time are we spending on, on things like Netflix or, or just eating or going out or just having fun? Where is our time being spent? And the third one is, where do you spend your money? When you look at your bank account at the end of the month, go, where did it all go? Many of us will say, well, there's mortgages, there's car payments, there's telephone bills. Absolutely, we have all kinds of things. But what about everything else? Maybe there is very little else. When we look at where we spend our energy, our time, and our money, it'll help us to see who the real king is in our life. Because that's where everything of us seems to go. So what is taking most of your energy? What is taking most of your time? What is taking most of your en- money? You know, if you looked at my bank account, I've got to say that there's, there's a whole lot of money that goes to, like, barbecue and food which some of you know about and some of you appreciate, but maybe that's not the priority. What about your time? You know, some of you are students and you spend a great deal of time studying, and that's a good thing. Some of you are parents and you spend a great deal of time raising your kids, and that's a good thing. These are all good things. But are you craving God's kingdom first? His way of prioritizing all these things that take up our time. 
It's not to say where you spend your money is bad. It's not to say where you spend your energy is bad. It's not to say where you spend your time is bad. But how are you living like someone in God's kingdom within those areas? How does it reflect the image of God in where your energy goes, where your time goes, where your money goes? We're invited to be part of this kingdom because this kingdom is much better than we realize. And so how do we live daily reflecting that to the world around us? That's my hope and my prayer that we can think about this week. Think about where your energy is going, where your time is going, where your money is going, and see how it aligns with what Jesus has been inviting us into in a life in all of its fullness. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are um, the God of your kingdom, that you have a, a plan and a purpose for your people, and that you have a way for us to live that reflects you as king. I pray that as we uh, look at this idea, this idea that you are king, and that we are invited to be part of your kingdom, that we could see how, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we play a part in everything to demonstrate your goodness and love. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you guide us this week as we reflect on what we do, how we do it, and why we do it, and if it is aligned with what you have in mind for us, Jesus. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as you go today... May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you.